spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome to Ragin Review. Matt Miguez. It was a rough night in Huntington, West Virginia as Ridge Cajun's men's basketball falls to Marshall, 93-79. to We also have football to talk about. We're going behind enemy lines tonight to cover the ULM Warhawks before senior day on Saturday. We also have a couple of house cleaning things to take care of. We get to talk about how the AP poll and the college football playoff poll are both jokes. And like it or not, prepare yourself to say goodbye to Billy Napier. Jerry A. Barry, man about town, Josh Jagno, join me. Gentlemen, first of all, good evening. And and second of all, uh, let, let's just go ahead and dive right in. What are your what are your thoughts about the the men's basketball game tonight? You know what, um, Josh? Should I go first on this, or you you want me to, or you want to? Please do. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, what I saw tonight, it looked uh, the tale of two halves against Marshall. First half we looked great, athletic, made some threes, good inside presence. Second half, we got out coached. I think Marshall came in and basically dominated us in paint. Dominated us in, dominated us in paint, uh, beat us on the fast break. Uh, I noticed when they took a lead, we started to panic, shoot threes, couldn't get open for an inside shot, didn't use our bigs properly. Um, and basically, we went from leading by five at halftime to losing by 14 uh, by the time the, the final buzzer uh, sounded. So just not a good game overall tonight. Really not a good game these past two nights. Indiana was horrible um it was not the cajuns night in bloomington i think at one point 25 straight shots missed uh top four scores went eight for 40 on the night it doesn't matter if you play indiana marshall or, or uta you're not going to win many games shooting like that so um you know not really the best road trip for the cajuns uh, i know it's early in the season and um hopefully Come Saturday when, when Jackson State rolls to town, or rolls to the Cajun Dome, the Cajuns can uh, bounce back from that and shoot the ball a lot better. Because right now, um, if they can get all of this out of their system, it would be it would work work out for everyone. But uh, these past two nights, I'm just going to say it: it was they were just not good performances overall. Good job, Jerry. That was very measured and level headed. I appreciate you setting me up like that. I'm mostly mad at myself. I'm just going to be honest. I fell for for the one thing that I rail against the most, and that's the propaganda. I fell for it. Here we go. I did. I did. And Dude. You know it's my own fault. Dude. It's my own fault. Hush, Matt. I'm talking. There are probably four games on the schedule this year that people talk that are people talk about and care about. Two of them just happened in the last three days. Marshall is a peer. Marshall was a game that we all looked at and said, hey, that's good competition. That's probably somebody that we should win on the road with the team that we think that we've assembled. You played about 20 minutes worth of good ball and you got blown out in the second half. We all talk about the, the uh, 
I don't know if you want to call it a, a, an advantage in the middle with the transfers that we got over. Tonight we got outscored 48-12 to 12 in the paint. That's right. I said 48-12 to 12 in the paint. We turned the ball over 28 times, and that's after turning the ball over 20-plus times. I think it was 21 times against Indiana. So in the last two games, you know, do the math, 49 times. That's, that's pretty terrible. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say as far as, you know, the future of the, the basketball team. Of course we're going to improve. Of course we're going to get better. We're going to play a lot worse teams. RPI, I think the, over, the overall percentage of average RPI is like 204 with the remaining schedule outside of, uh, uh, amazingly, Jackson State. I think Jackson State's in the top 200. So this, this last two, these last two games have been just brutal. Uh, you felt like you needed to win tonight to to kind of right the ship and have some good momentum coming back and uh, and starting conference play. I don't feel like we did that. I, I just I feel like we're soft on the inside. I feel like the transfers that we got, while they look athletic and talented, uh, I don't think they play very hard, and I think they're kind of soft on the inside. When things don't go their way, they kind of give up. They don't play very hard. That's what I've seen the last couple of nights. Uh, just tell, just telling it like I saw it. You know, I'm not a basketball guru. I'm just a fan watching the team that looks exactly the same that they've looked for the last 11 years. That's what I've seen. So overall, I'm mad at myself for buying into the propaganda. I mean, yeah, Sunday night and and tonight were were not good performances. Um, I mean, the Indiana game, I mean, that's self-explanatory. Like Jerry said, top scorers going eight for 40, missing 25 straight shots. I mean, that's just, that's inexcusable. Uh, it's a it's a horrible performance. However, and shooting nineteen percent for the game, me, I mean, that's like unheard of. Me being <laughs> me being a basketball guy, those nights happen. Yes, you hate that they happen against an opponent like Indiana, who who's kind of having a down year, and you it, it, had you shot well, maybe could have gotten a win. But I mean, those those nights happen. There, there's there's no. Maybe you're right, but I can tell you this. I've been watching Cajun basketball since I was six years old, and I might probably have forgotten some bad nights between now and then. I've never seen us miss 25 consecutive shots, and I've never shoot, seen a shoot below 20% well, in my lifetime. I, I can tell you that we, we've shot below 20% a, a few times. Care to point those games out? I'm Any, it, pretty sure we shot below 20% in a game, a game last year. As a team. I'm pretty sure we did it last year. Uh, I would that would be hard to believe. Even Bob Marlin said in the post game that he has never been a part of a game where they missed 25 consecutive shots. Maybe not so, 25 consecutive shots, but I have seen a shoot below 20. percent Well, I mean that doesn't make it much better. And, and <laughs> I mean, even, and even if we the did, past two years, even if we did, and look, dude, I, I know that Indiana is what they are. They have program. Uh, history just oozing out of their ears. I get that. I understand that Bloomington's a hard place to play. I get all that stuff. The team that we saw play Sunday night may not make the tournament. They're middle of the pack Big Ten, if you ask me. I, I haven't watched a ton of college basketball this year, and maybe the game has, ch- has changed since I followed it closely, but they didn't look that great. They had one guy that was kind of a difference maker, and they made shots because they were open. Th- this defense, you know, this is another thing about the propaganda that I talk about. After the UWF game that I think was an exhibition for them, we post on our social sites that we're the number three defense in the country. Since that post, we've been completely ramshot run over. 
It's been bad. I mean, that's the kind of propaganda I'm talking about. Don't post that shit. Just go out and play. It makes it 10 times worse when you say dumb stuff after games and post-game uh, interviews and you post number three defense in the country when you're playing exhibition games. Nobody's buying that stuff. Nobody's believing that. Nobody's going to take that seriously. And then you go get your doors blown off at Marshall and Indiana on the road. The only two real competition out of teams of, of, of any kind of merit outside of conference. I mean, come on. Come on. It's ridiculous, man. It's, there's no wonder why people are out on Marlin. There's no wonder why. I think going into the season, though, I think that was uh, the, the Marshall game was definitely a good test to say, okay, maybe if, if we have the team that we're being told that we have, you know, guys like Jordan Brown and, and whatnot, if we have these this type of talent, then we should be able to go and, and beat a Marshall, right? That that would be a good a good stepping stone in getting this team going for the season, kind of like we did at Southern Miss, right? You go to Southern Miss, you win by twenty one, and you still looked a little sloppy, but you still won. You still won convincingly on against the Southern Miss team that we really haven't beaten quite often as of late. And then all of a sudden, you you know you take care of business against Xavier. Basically, I mean, you, you sort of sleepwalk through the game and you still win by double digits. But then you go on the road to Indiana, where yes, it's the Hoosiers. I get it, but Indiana did not cause us to miss twenty five straight shots. I mean, there were times when we were physical in the paint against them. We our bigs actually went toe to toe, and we're missing layups. That, that's not Indiana. That's, that's us. So, so to me, that's something we're going to have to fix really soon because, yeah, you're right, Josh, the schedule's going to get easier, but that, that's how you slip up against conference teams that you're not supposed to lose to. That, that's well, how you do it. It happened again tonight, missing layups. I, I don't know if we have a true point guard on the floor again. How many times, how many years in a row have we lacked a true point guard? Jay Wright maybe the last one. Somebody brought that up in conversation, and I had forgotten about Jay. I liked Jay. I liked the way he played. He played hard. He was a feisty guy, but he was a point guard. He wasn't a combo guard. We keep trying to make these Stroman. combo guards play point. Stroman. Stroman, but I mean, I, he I was a Stroman was a pure, a pure point guard. Shots. It's just so, you know, I don't know, dude. I, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. We, we assembled this team that everybody was excited for, me included, and we finally get a test on the road. And, yeah, I guess you could say that there's some – room for improvement as far as chemistry goes. and People are still trying to find their role on the team. I understand all that stuff. And it's not like I'm not going to watch the team. Of course, I'm going to continue to watch. Us three will continue to watch. I'm, spe- I'm strictly speaking from the, the fan that has given up on Marlon and given up on the basketball team saying, all right, on these nights, I'm going to watch the Cajuns because I would love to get back in the fold, but you got to give me something to buy into there's no, there's absolutely no reason for somebody who's been estranged from the program to get excited again after those, those two games. So looking back on some statistics, I've gone as far back as the 2013, 2014 season, our worst shooting performance since then before Saturday, I mean, before Sunday night, um, we, we've shot 27% three times. And that's the worst you could find in eight years? That was the worst I could find. So 19% was the worst. Um, but the closest, Pretty brutal. To, the closest to those were, were 27% three different times. And then, Matt, on top of that, we're shooting 58% as a no, team from I the mean, free throw line. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. I, I think I, I, I agree with you completely that We've gotten off to a poor start from from a shooting perspective, and you know we, we seem to have an issue with 
you know, a couple guys giving up a little late in the game, like like you brought up earlier. I don't disagree. Um, however, I, I do think that both of those things are are things that can be fixed. I mean, the, the shooting thing, dude. It's a it, it's a basketball quote older than time. The only way to get out of a shooting slump is to shoot your way out of it. And, and then and then the lazy thing. I mean, dude, that's 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 coaching. That's coaching. I don't and, disagree. And, and I don't we, think we're you, a well-coached every, basketball team. Everybody, everybody that listens to this podcast knows how we feel about our coaching staff. And that's that's poor coaching. But again, it's early. We've only played five games, and I, and I get it. The three that we have won are against incredibly weak competition, and I get that our schedule only gets weaker. Uh, I I understand. However. It's still we've only played five games. We'll see. We'll when, see. when we get when we get into conference, I think you're going to see a much different basketball team. Of course, I, I mean, I, and that's what I was trying to say. Like we all understand, we're probably going to beat the Little Rocks and the Monroes. <laughs> It'd be hard not to. You have to try to show up and lose those games, and 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 sure enough, guaranteed. You know, if you look at history, what we've learned is that we'll probably finish third or fourth. That is our average. So it's a good seed. It's an opportunity to win the tournament. I mean, at that point, you can't really complain. You just got to get in there and win the tournament. Just saying, we're not off to a great start. Yeah. And, and again, I, I I don't disagree. But, you know, we have, we have all three stated that we all have three differing opinions of, of our basketball program. So... It, it's kind of agree to disagree at this point, but moving on, you know, let, let's talk about, let's talk about football. Now let's, let's put this Liberty game behind us. Um, looking back at it, obviously 42 to 14, y- you dominated a, a pretty good football team at, at their house. You ended up getting two Sunbelt player of the week honors. Chauncey Manack was named defensive player of the week and Dalen Cambry was named special teams player of the week. Again, the, the the performance offensively is very concerning. This is this is the time of the season where you gotta click. You gotta be right. Because I'm telling you, next Saturday is not going to be the same App State team that we saw a month ago. Well, let's keep in mind too that a lot of people talk about Liberty's offense and their quarterback, but I think their defense was giving up 18.6 points a game um, for the season. So they, you know, they've got talent on defense. Uh, I remember one of their linebackers was a transfer from, don't remember the college, but he was from Karen Crow high. So that, you know, they had some, they had some talent on defense. Uh, Scruggs or shrugs was a very good player for them. Uh, he, he, he flashed many times across the screen but uh, no, they, I thought that their defense was fine. They had a good scheme. I thought they were well coached. They came prepared. They mixed things up. And I think especially in that first half, Levi was confused. You could kind of tell often he was confused. So I'll give, I'll give Liberty some credit for how they played. I, I feel like, again, kind of like we talked about in the post game. I think that anytime you're going to rely on the arm of Levi to go out and get you points and win you a game, you're probably going to struggle. Because he needs his complimentary pieces. He's a complimentary quarterback. So uh, I'll give Liberty some credit. I think that we made the adjustments we needed to make. And he played, uh, he meaning Levi, played better in the second half. But I do agree with you, Matt. I think that there are times when 
the offense just gets stuck in a rut. And that is concerning, you know, looking ahead to App State. As far as ULM, I was interested to see how they were going to play against LSU because LSU doesn't have much to play for in their second to last game of the season, man. You know, they they could pack it in at any time. It's kind of how I was looking at that. And um, I'll give ULM credit. They were physical. They played hard. They were two fourth down stops close to the goal line away from being right in that game towards the end of the, to the, to, you know, to the end of the fourth quarter. So uh, they also give me a little bit of, of, of worry. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, concerned about that game. I think we'll show up and play well, um, but you know, look, we can't overlook ULM, especially offensively. We need to go out and score some points to feel good about app state going into the app state game. Well, if you really think about it offensively, if you look the past two weeks uh, offensively, we scored 35 points each game. Uh, and I'm not going to count the seven points. I know we scored 42 against Liberty, but one of those touchdowns was special teams. Uh, we've put up 35 points two weeks in a row on the road. So against, look, apparently we were told that Troy's defense was the second best defense in the Sun Belt. Remember, oh, their front seven is just as good as Louisiana's. We were told that all week long, and we hung 35 on them. Last week, same thing, right? Really good front seven in Liberty, a seven and three team, team won 15 straight at home, giving up, what, 17, 18 points a game, hung 35 on them. So I think the offense is where it needs to be right now. I mean, look, you, you, you beat two teams and you put up some good points. You put up points against two teams that had a reputation for having a good front seven. And one thing about our, our, our offense that gives me confidence right now, yes, Levi started off a little slow in the first half. He threw the ball a lot, tried to spread it out a little bit, didn't quite work. But what did we do in the second half? We slowed the game down. We slowed the game down. We utilized our offensive line, and we ran the football. And that's one thing that I thought we did uh, well against Liberty. We did it against Troy in the second half. So what that tells me is, is, look, we knew going into this season, all right, our offense, it's not sexy. You know, we don't run the Mike Leach five wide where we get the air raid. We're very balanced. We let Levi use his athleticism. We let him get rid of the ball when he needs to. We run some screens. And, and, and usually, where do we go in the second half and where are the teams down? The run game. That's what we did the last two weeks, and we hung 35. So, look, this week, I think against Monroe, I mean, look, LSU only hung 27 on them. And I know, like you said, Josh, LSU probably clocked out a little bit. They just – they probably sleptwalked – they sleepwalked through the game a little bit. But Monroe also showed up too. I mean, one or two plays, they were, they were one or two plays away from possibly winning that game or at least taking a lead or making it cl- even closer than it was. But uh, this is a good week for the Cajuns – to really get a groove going, continue the, the groove that they've been in the last two weeks. They can hang 35 on Monroe, do that three weeks in a row with their offense, and maybe score more this week being at home. I, I feel good going into the app game. I, I think that's what they kind of need. And, and look, we saw it the first time against app. I know app turned the ball over f- uh, four times, but one thing we did against app, our offensive line dominated their front seven. And that's what we've been doing. That's how we've been scoring points. We've been dominating the front seven. Of, of defenses and, and beating them and wearing them down in the second half. So I'm not as concerned. I, I take a little bit of a different route. I think our, it's just our offense isn't flashy. I think that's the thing. It, it, we we kind of have, it throws us off a little bit because they're not going to score an 80 yard, an 80 yard touchdown pass. You know, they're going to kind of dink and doink you up and down the field and, and Billy's offenses have always been that way. So as long as they keep doing that and do that this week against ULM I, and, and don't, and don't look sloppy, I'll I'll be I'll feel good going into that app game. One one thing we need to talk about is the the AP poll and the playoff poll. Um, Pitiful is what it is. I mean, I just I don't understand how how you beat a 
a Liberty team by 28 points and and you drop spots. <laughs> I just don't get it. The the CFP, I mean, I, again, I'm still not surprised. We got disrespected by the CFP last year. We're getting re- disrespected by them again. Uh, I'm not surprised. But the AP poll just, how, how do you beat a team by 28 on the road and you fall? Because we're not a uh, like staying not a P5, staying, staying not where you are, loss. staying where you are is one thing, but how do you fall? So it's the best part about it, the best part about it is the team that jumped us went to UNLV and barely right. won, got barely got away, right? A team that has two loss. or three wins. We're not a four-loss SEC school. That's why. Yeah, you gotta, be, you gotta lose four or five games in the SEC to jump people. Apparently, ridiculous. This year is more bizarre than last, yeah. and even the one before that. It's it's oh. hard to follow at all. Speaking of the SEC, is Billy Napier trading in Vermillion and White for Blue and Orange? Josh, would you like to take that one? Oh, uh, sure. So, because you know what, I, but before I, I don't mean to cut you off, my man. Josh had a very interesting segment uh, the other day yeah. with, um, with, with what was it? Um, Gator it was, breakdown. It was the Gator breakdown, and and dude, you've become a, a celebrity on their on on their on their Twitter amongst, space. Jo- Josh Gator jumped. Nation. Josh jumped in for a for a friendly, you know. You were you were just going in to listen, weren't you? Yeah, I, I had absolutely no desire to speak. I was actually drinking coffee, waiting for the kids to wake up. And I saw, I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw that they were talking about Napier. He had his Twitter space that was, uh, the topic of it was something about Napier. So I clicked on it. There was nothing else going on, no news to listen to. So they're talking about it. And I was on the Raging Review account. And uh, this guy, Dave, who runs it, who he's also like a newsman for uh, some sports station in Jacksonville. He clicks on it. He sees, he sees that I'm a raging Cajuns, you know, he called me a raging Cajun representative, but he start he, he starts talking about me. He starts saying all this stuff about Napier. So I said, shit. And I didn't realize that there was like several hundred people in the space. I just thought it was a few people kind of like what we do. Well, I re- I sent a request just to answer his questions. And 25 minutes later, uh, I was being interviewed by, like 30 people. So I, you know, I, I did, of course I didn't say anything definitive because I don't know anything definitive. I just told them what we've experienced with Napier and kind of, t- you know, talk to them a little bit about Billy, you know, keep in mind when Billy got here, we didn't know a ton about him. So they're kind of in the same boat. And I just, I just kind of went through the last four years with him and gave some anecdotal stories and talked about his personality a little bit. So they were very curious, obviously. And, uh, but as far as him trading in his vermilion for for blue and, and orange, look, man, we talk to a lot of people. We get a lot of messages from a lot of different places. I ask people that I trust questions regularly about the, this entire thing. I, I, look, it, this is my own opinion. I don't have any type of factual knowledge. If you're asking me today what my opinion is, I don't think that Billy can pass up this cycle and stay in Lafayette. That is not a shot to Lafayette or the program. You guys know I would never do that. What I'm saying is, is that I know Billy is an ambitious guy. I know that he's enjoyed four great years here. His kids love it. His wife loves it. It's time. At the same time, in this profession, 
you can't turn down down this many openings right. with this amount of clout and expect it not to kill your career, man. Uh, it, that is that's career suicide it, if you it, ask it, me. I mean, you time. tell Florida no. I'm sorry, man. I, But I think the great thing that nobody's talking about here and my favorite about it all is how these pompous ass LSU fans (laughs) that Billy's camp and and his agent Sexton are using Florida to leverage against LSU when in reality, by everything that we've heard, read, listened to, been told, all this stuff – all signs point to the opposite where Billy is using Baton Rouge to leverage for Florida and Virginia tech, maybe Virginia tech to a lesser degree, but I think he's using Baton Rouge as leverage to go to Florida for sure. And, and one of the things that this guy Dave said from, uh, from the, from the Gator breakdown was that he, he apparently has a pretty decent relationship with uh, Scott Strickland, the AD for Florida. Mm-hmm. He basically said without saying that he's been talking to the camp, the Napier camp for a couple of weeks now. So, you know, he, again, you, you got to read between the lines a little bit on these yeah, things. Dude, it's basically what he said. Bill, Billy's Billy's gone. I mean, like, like you said, you, you can't progress in this profession. If you keep turning down schools, you just can't. You know, you, yeah. you you turned down a Mississippi State, you turned down an Auburn, you turned down a South Carolina. Okay, okay, you know, fine. You don't turn down Florida. Yeah, and Matt, you can explain why at Auburn he didn't want to be controlled. At at uh, NC sure. State, he didn't think they had the resources and the support. At South Carolina, same. At Mississippi State, he didn't think that he could constantly sure. compete against the LSUs and the Alabamas. I understand that. Like you can you can. You can rationalize all those things. You, the University of Florida is a top, a top 10 job. There, there's no there's no rationalizing saying no to the Florida Gators. There's just, yeah. I, there's just none. I, but I, you know, so you know what's crazy? Passes on that. What, what, what's crazy is is I got asked um, if this news upset me. And of course it does. I mean, you, you never want to lose a, a coach like Billy Napier and, and, you know, doing what we do on a weekly basis. You kind of get an attachment to to these guys, and uh, so I mean, you never want to you never want to see them leave town. But at, in, in that same regard, you understand that that Florida and Louisiana, as much as we love the Cajuns, not on the same level. Uh, I obviously wish him nothing but the best if it if it comes to be true and he does go to Gainesville. I'll be a Florida fan. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those things where I'm kind of going to be a little bit of a fan of wherever Billy Napier goes the rest of his career. Hundred um, percent. And I'll, I'll make one comment and I'll let Jerry go. The Billy Napier era for me has been, you know, to make an analogy, it's been an all expenses paid trip to the Bahamas. Right. To, to the Bahamas, right? It's like you know when you first get there, it's amazing. You're on cloud nine. Halfway through the trip, you kind of forget that it's a trip and you, you, you just enjoy every day for what it is. And then on the back end of the trip, you keep reminding yourself that it's almost time to go home. We've, it, we've reached the end of that trip and we're at the airport and we're about to come home. You know, I, I'm not upset. I mean, it was a hell of a vacation. He changed, he changed this program forever in so many ways. When he does make the jump from Louisiana to Florida, he is now going to open up a brand new door that never existed. This is no longer a coaching graveyard. This is now, a very 
we're gonna we're gonna be a sought after job. This we yes, are. this is a, a very uh, a sought after. That's a good word. Uh, stepping stone to get to the highest level of college football. And if you'd ask anybody just ten years ago, they would have laughed at you because this was a dead end job for the majority of of my lifetime, right. and maybe even longer than that. So. And yes, I'm going to meet, miss Billy. I'm going to miss all this stuff. But look, the beat goes on. We've got a guy in Brian Magger that we can trust. But I can tell you this. One of the things that they said on the Gator Breakdown is that it was refreshing to have someone like us ride for the coach that we have and understand that he's moving on and do it in a way that was complimentary of him right. and, and complimentary of the future because we, we trusted in our program, but we also understood this is the business of college football. For sure. And, and you know, the, the, the craziest thing for me is, is you sit here and you look at it. You know, last year we had this game, the same thought process. Oh my God, the New York Giants took our offensive coordinator. Dude, the Florida freaking Gators won our head coach. I mean, dude, Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, Steve, Steve Spurrier, Spurrier, Danny Warfel. I mean, I, I could go on and I on. Killed. Naming naming guys that, that have come out of the University of Florida. National championships and Heisman trophies, man. I mean, it's the top elite level of college football. And it's it's, it's, it's unreal. At the end of all this, we're gonna be associated with them yep. forever. So look, unreal. You can look at it a lot of ways. You can look at it and be sad and be upset, but I choose to look ahead with some, you know, some positivity and understand this was this was always what it was gonna be. And this is the best case scenario. For all three parties involved. Oh yeah, the the the, tr- the train's got to keep on rolling, man. Jerry, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, I got a few things I want to say. First of all, we've never had a head coach with a thirty-eight and twelve record that has left the university. It's been a coaching graveyard for many years. You know, coaches go do other businesses. They go maybe coach high school. They go do different things. This is the first time we've ever had a head coach that has been sought after the way he has not just this year, but in multiple years by a P5 school. Um, I mean, he's been sought after in four or five different SEC schools. He's been sought after in a few Big 12 schools. Um, you know, he's had some school. He's got a school in the ACC right now that's interested in him with Virginia Tech. I mean, there's talks of him going to Blacksburg. Uh, so to, to see the number of schools that are interested in Billy right now is, is a testament to Billy. He's turned this program into a top 25 powerhouse. He's turned this program into an attractive uh, G5 program that other coaches are, go- are, are going to want to send their resumes to, 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 to lead the charge. And he's built a system. He's built a system and a structure that if you have a little bit of discipline should be pretty easy to maintain for the most part. Um, you know, so, so he's built a foundation here that can be successful for many years to come. I, I kind of think of like a Boise state, right? How it kind of started from the division one double a level but they've created a formula that's kept success. Heck, look no further than App State, right? App State's another prime example after Jerry Moore. No matter who's taken over the job, they've won. So um, I think regardless of whatever happens to Billy, wherever he goes, it's like you said, Josh, it's, it's, it's a promotion. It'll be a promotion wherever he goes. Um, and, and he's got a golden opportunity to take what he learned at other schools and, and actually and, and take what he learned here as a head coach he, he's going to be holding up that national championship trophy uh, within the next five or six years. Uh, I, I really believe that. And I think he will be able to sustain success. I also want to say that 
the new coach coming to Louisiana, we've got a lot of things going on for our program as well. Brand new stadium going up. We still have Brian Maggard at the helm. We have an athletic department who still understands what it takes to keep the to keep this train rolling. Has the, we have the right leadership at Martin Hall. So we have people on board that are going to promote this program regardless of who the head coach is going to be. Uh, so, you know, for, for what Billy has done here, I mean, the four years, three straight 10-win seasons, two straight years being in the top 25. I mean, he's accomplished things here we've never seen before that we never thought was possible, which, by the way, I'm getting a little bit away from my man, I tell you what segment. But, you know, really when it's all said and done, I mean, the, the, the least you could do when he, regardless of what he decides to do, is say, you know what, coach, thank you, best of luck to you, and hope, you know, wherever you go, go win a championship. Um, you know, hopefully he's taken what he's learned here and he can do that, um, you know, at Florida or Virginia Tech. Uh, maybe not LSU, but, you know, you, you get the point. The three of us agree, at least, that the Napier will probably move on after this season. From from what I'm hearing, nothing's going to be announced until after the conference championship game, which... Well, I found I found something interesting. Um, Sports Illustrated, and I know we, what we think of SI, but they came out with an article, I think Sportsline or somebody, as far as the odds or whatever. Bob Stoops has yeah, become Napier, the favorite. Napier is not the betting favorite. He's third behind Kiffin and Stoops. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard Stoops' name come from a lot of people. It, it kind of makes me wonder. Well, because you see, what, what I thought was interesting is, is you, the two jobs that Napier's being tied to the most right now is Florida and Virginia Tech. And Napier is a man of job security. He's always preached that, you know, that's what he looks for. Um, and then he looks for an environment that he and his family can be happy in. Dude, I think he's got more job security in Blacksburg. Well, the question is now, though, if these if these articles are coming out, you know, Billy's got to be wanted too, right? He's got to be wanted. Right. So if Florida goes get goes and gets Bob Stoops, let's say LSU go gets I don't know Aranda, L- LSU Tech, LSU would be stupid not to hire Dave Aranda. But but okay, so let's let's use that as as an example, and let's say Virginia Tech goes and gets Chadwell. For that matter, yeah. Where does Billy go? Does he he, he stays. stays here another year? Where does he, he stays? Go? I mean, where where else where else she gonna go? Hey, I, I'm not trying to be a sunshine pumper here, but you know, there's so much. No, I mean, there's a search more there's a there's know. a there's a shot that Napier doesn't leave. Uh, and I, 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 and I don't want to give Cajun fans I don't want to give Cajun fans this false hope, but it, there is a possibility. We're, we're not say, the athletic directors, so I, w- I won't say there's a zero percent chance that Napier stays uh, there that's always a, a possibility um i just I, I feel like his name is being thrown around way too much in, in florida for there not to be something yeah, I mean, there and, and and i think i think regardless i think somebody's going to get them and, and they're going to make the right choice and it's going to be a good choice but you, you know <sighs> It's it's it, this whole coaching carousel. That's what makes it so interesting. We don't know what these athletic directors are thinking. We don't know what their strategies are. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, Virginia Tech. Look, Jamie Chadwell's names come up too. Yep. So it's it's it, it, it's, it's an interesting game to watch. And, you know, and Chadwell overall. Chadwell's names come up deservedly so. I mean, I yeah. mean, say what you want about the guy. I mean, he's a good coach. 
He's done a good job at Coastal. I'll give him that. He's done a good job yeah, I mean, there. He's, he, he's, he's a good coach. So it'll be interesting to see what the coaching carousel does over the next couple of weeks. Guys, we, we, we kind of need to talk about ticket sales for the, the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Hotcakes. Taking off like hotcakes. Because from what I've heard, tickets are flying. I would I, strongly encourage anybody listening to go buy a ticket this week. Like oh, right now. Like tomorrow. Yeah, There's a strong possibility that you will be left out in the cold, and this is not us trying to pump season tickets, or uh, not season tickets, but uh, championship tickets. I, We're not in the business of selling Sunbelt anything. I'm just telling you, you could call up the, the box office tomorrow. They'll tell you. There ain't much left. I got well, I got to answer the phone. because I got busy. a text message yesterday. Per a very reliable source pertaining to the conference championship game, sections B through F, two sections in the end zone, and three sections on the student side, as well as the upper deck chairbacks, they're all sold out. And that's not including the thousand tickets that App State got, which they'll sell out of that. They'll sell out of. Yeah, they. Yeah. they, they I think they already sold out of that. If I'm well, not they, mistaken, they should have gotten three thousand tickets. I think it's ridiculous, but regardless. That, that's going to be gone. So yeah, right yeah. then and there, I mean, you're talking about 80% of the stadium. Yep. That's 30, that's about 32, 33,000. Wild. Out of 40. In the that, neighborhood, for sure. Wild. So you're looking you're looking at about 32, 33,000 tickets sold before game day, plus walk-ups. I mean, we could probably get over 35, 36,000 fans in that stadium. Which is another reason why you got to go beat ULM. Cajun. Go get your tickets now. Cajuns and the pros, Elijah Mitchell missed this past week with his finger issue. Um, Tracy Walker up for a Pro Bowl nod. Well done, Tracy. Uh, Go vote. Kevin, Kevin Dotson and Robert Hunt continue to, to do what they do. Uh, Christian Ringo back with the Saints. He had a, he had a big game on Sunday. Strip sack. Um, and I think he recovered the fumble, too. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, Justin Hamilton with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. Still, still doing his thing. Yeah, man. There, there's a lot of Cajuns in the pros. It's a uh, Jamarcus Bradley big catch. Yeah, the, I think the, it was the big, just the one the catch, catch, but it was nice on the yeah. sideline. Yeah, uh, good, good throw by Baker, but uh, but definitely a better catch by by Jamarcus Bradley. Uh, like I said, plenty of Cajuns in the pros. Plenty to talk about. Uh, it, it's cool to see, man. Uh, you know, you used to a couple years ago, you would you would hope to have one guy in the league. Doing his thing, and now we've got what seven, eight, a lot. <laughs> so definitely, definitely cool to uh, to see that. We'll take a break right here, Rage and Review, and when we come back, we're gonna go behind enemy lines. Dusty Thibodeau of the Warhawk Report. We'll sit down with Jerry and I to talk about the Warhawks. Talk about how they almost got the Tigers this past weekend. And what they're going to have to do if they want to beat the Cajuns on Saturday uh, in, in their season finale. Don't go anywhere. Read your interview. Be right back after this.
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back to Agent Review. Matt Miguez. Jerry Bear with me. In that first segment, we talked about the historic senior class that we're going to honor this weekend. We talked about how much of a joke the AP poll and the college football playoff poll are. And we talked about how in a matter of weeks, we're more than likely going to have to say goodbye to our head football coach. Now it's time to go behind enemy lines. For the last time of the regular season, this time we're talking about our good buddies to the north, the ULM Warhawks, and joining us to do that is Mr. Dusty Thibodeau of WarhawkReport.com. Dusty, first of all, man, thank you for taking the time. Second of all, how's life in Monroe this time of year? Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 always good to have time to talk some uh, Sunbelt Conference football. Monroe's actually good. You know, people are going to say it was it was another bad year for the Warhawks. Probably going to end the year four and eight, but four wins. I mean, that that's playing with some house money there. The Vegas odds were only a game and a half, so definitely jumped up, surprised some people. Maybe the Warhawks are a little bit ahead of schedule on their rebuild. Maybe they were just lucky. But, you know, definitely good times on the Bayou and and looking forward to closing out the season and and seeing how this last game goes. Yeah, you know, definitely you you hit the nail on the head, definitely ahead of schedule in terms of the rebuild. Uh, Definitely far exceeded my expectations as as to what the Warhawks would be able to do this year under uh, under Terry Bowden. Talk talk to us about Coach Bowden and, you know, especially – Rich Rodriguez, I mean, anybody that's that's followed college football knows the story of Rich Rod, you know, West Virginia, Michigan, you know, so on and so forth. How have they been able to, you know, get this team to kind of buy in to the to the new system early on? Yeah, I mean, these are guys that have been at the premier P5 schools throughout their career, and so they know what a D1 program needs to be about what it needs to be built uh, around getting that support. And that's what ULM really needs. This is what they needed even back in 1994 when they were moving up to the D1 ranks. They've never had kind of that roadmap, that plan of, okay, we're D1. You know, we moved up from the one double A ranks. What do we do now? There was never that plan. And so maybe it's better late than never. Hopefully it's not too late to where we can still kind of recover from it. But they have the plan, the roadmap to get ULM where they need to be 
of being a contributing member of the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah, you know, Dusty, um, speaking of which, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with Terry Bowden and, and guys like Rich Rod at the helm, um, I'm sure that the fans, that, that, that pretty much gave some excitement to the fan base. Uh, I know for a few years, uh, people were saying that um, there was a little bit of apathy with the program as a whole. Um, has the attitude changed as far as uh, more, there's more optimism with this coaching staff, um, especially since uh, they took uh, coach Bowden took the job and has there been an uptick in financial investments as far as um, trying to, you know, more donations, more fan involvement, um, you know, whether it's like, I guess it's called the Warhawk athletic foundation. Um, what has been the overall perception uh, with this new coaching staff and what kind of excitement has it generated with the fan base since they've been there? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely been fundraising, in even beginning when they brought in Terry Bowden, the fact that they were able to pay him a decent salary, uh, more than Vietra was paid, more than Barry was paid before that. So the money is, is coming in. They're paying full cost of attendance now. So I think the finances are there. I'm not sure where the money's coming from. Maybe they hit the Powerball and, you know, that's why I never win it. But that's <laughs> why... Uh, you know, things are really on the upswing. I think the thing that was really kind of the head scratcher is when Terry Bowden was announced as the head coach, I think a lot of the players, a lot of the prospects were like, okay, who's this old guy that we're getting? Whereas, you know, Jerry, we were talking about, dude, that's the, that's the Auburn coach. You know, that's the guy that went 20, what? 20 and 21 and one, whatever. Yeah we still have that in our mindset. So I think the alumni and kind of us older folks were more excited than necessarily the players or the kids. Cause they didn't know what they were getting. They kind of knew what they were getting in rich rod because he had been around at Michigan had even had that quick stint there at Ole Miss. So they were more excited about rich rod coming in more so than Terry Bowden. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I remember um, whenever, whenever they announced the hire, I, I, I wanted to say that there were maybe one or two coaches who were just position coaches. I think there was a receivers coach from somewhere and uh, they, they were just a bunch of position coaches as candidates. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, Terry, yeah, Terry, Bowden, Terry Bowden shows up and I'm like, Whoa, okay. All right. They mean business here. This is commitment. I I'm impressed. And, and you know, look, it wasn't just to me, it wasn't just what he did at Auburn. He went to Akron, turned that program around, beat us. Cajun field embarrassed us when, whenever we uh, had to do, whenever they, we did a one in our home and home, they came to Cajun field on a return trip. We beat them the first time up there, but they spanked us uh, in Lafayette. And I think, I want to say he brought Akron to a few bowl games. So he, he's got a reputation for turning programs around. We've seen his success at Auburn and it looks like he's kind of on his way in, in Monroe doing the same thing. I mean, you had mentioned, um, I want to say we, we did the Twitter space. You came in and participated and you said, really, Seems like the Warhawks are playing with house money, and I mean he's he's done a lot more than that for for this program on, on sort of a faster note uh, compared to what we expected him to do um, being there. Yeah, and I mean I, I think we really saw the state of the ULM program this past week against LSU. Did really well in the game on the scoreboard. It wasn't like an embarrassment to the the conference. It wasn't an embarrassment to ULM. It was a, it was a pretty good game, but you could tell that they were a few players short and a few plays short of being able to be in position to really pull that kind of upset off. And then you even look at 
the conference games against Texas State, against uh, what was the other one? Uh, Arkansas State, one possession games. And, and really, that Texas State game came down to the Bobcats made the big explosive play. ULM didn't, and it was an eight point game. Yeah, you know, you guys, you guys have definitely been close in in quite a few games this year, which is is part of the reason why, especially for an outsider, uh, it, it seems like ULM is on the right track. I think year one under Bowden was was very impressive, um, and I think you guys can only continue to improve. But you know, you talked about Terry Bowden and how the the alumni and the older generation knew who he was. And then the younger generation did not see. I'm in the younger generation. I knew of Bobby. I knew who Bobby Bowden was, but I didn't know who Terry Bowden was. But then when I looked at, but then when I looked at his resume, when y'all hired him, I was like, Oh, he's Bobby's boy. Bobby's boy. Yeah. And, and you know, there was a lot of that. I hate that I missed his introductory press conference to get a chance to meet Bobby Bowden. And no, Bobby was, was so there. Forward to the Jackson State game, where it was going to be kind of that reunion of Bobby Bowden and Deion Sanders, the guy he right. said was always the greatest athlete he had ever coached in his life. I was so looking forward to that, but then unfortunately we lost Bobby Bowden before all that could happen, yeah. and so I think that that was kind of a distraction a little bit for Terry. But I think that it also showed that he has positioned himself and surrounded himself with a good staff that he was able to take off pretty much an entire week. Yep. And it was flawless. Yeah, no, no question about it. Dusty, one thing one thing we want to touch on, and you know we couldn't have this interview without talking about Louisiana Tech. Um, You know, we were talking off the air about how they kind of feel like they're being left behind in Conference USA, deservedly so. Um, is there a feeling around Monroe that you guys kind of have a golden opportunity to improve your positioning in FBS now that that they're kind of being left behind? Without a doubt. I mean, the, the, the door's open that the Warhawks just got to be able to capitalize on. And, and I think part of that is the keyword capital, that you need some capital improvements. You need to be able to come up with the capital to keep things up and going. You know, we talked about the Conference USA having to travel coast to coast just about, well, it still takes money to be able to fly if you're in a bad conference like that where you got to go. It's always easier to play when you're getting off of a plane in, in Savannah and then making that short bus ride down to Statesboro against Georgia Southern, as opposed to busing from Monroe to Statesboro. With that said though, you still got to come up with that money. And so I think that this is the opportunity for ULM to show that they're finally putting up the funds and putting up uh, the effort needed to have a true D one Sunbelt program. Yeah, you're de- you're definitely on your way for sure. Um, I think right now, again, you start winning. People are, I mean, it's, it's simple. You start winning, people follow, right? Um, and, and hopefully, I, look, I'm keeping my fingers crossed here uh, that ULM, and not only because it's hilarious for us as fans, but uh, if ULM can, can, can surpass tech in any kind of way, and also to help our conference out, right? I mean, that, that would be huge um, if, 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 if the Warhawks could, you know, surpass tech in pretty much everything, uh, being so close and with the nasty politics that have been going on, uh, it would benefit everybody. It would benefit ULM. It would benefit us, the Sun Belt. 
Um, and of course it would just give us more reasons to trash talk them too. Um, so yeah, but, but anyways, um, you know, we're talking about finances, but let's kind of move back to the gridiron, um, you know, specific to this season, you know, you've been, I mean, the Warhawks have been pretty competitive and even, even in some of your losses, uh, you know, you pulled this huge win against Liberty, 28 unanswered points in the third quarter, down 14, nothing at halftime. I mean, pretty much almost took LSU to the wire last week. Um, do you, would you say the credit goes to uh, a massive roster overhaul? Is it uptick in recruiting? Is it the coaching staff? Is it morale? Um, I mean, I, I guess we just want to ask how has it happened so far uh, with the fact that, that ULM has, has really been competitive uh, for the most part this year so quickly. Yeah. I mean, one of the slogans that they adopted was uh, will you fight? And I think that that's really the key coming into this season. ULM had not won since they beat coastal Carolina in 2019. How about that? That that was until this season, the last team to beat Coastal Carolina was ULM. Thank God. <laughs> That's I, crazy, man. I I think that it's one of those things, it's a, it's the huge snowball effect that once the team beat Jackson State, they kind of knew how to win. Whether it was good, bad, ugly, indifferent, doesn't matter. They still knew how to win. And from there, once you kind of have that seed of belief – that's when they were able to go to play against Troy and get that win and, again, have the belief. And all this time, making the adjustments necessary because this team now at the end of the season is definitely not the same team that played at Kentucky to open the season. And it's really not even the same team that played against Liberty, against Troy. I feel like that they've really made the adjustments necessary. With that said, the success or lack of success this year all ties into the offensive line. When the offensive line kind of has a dumbed-down scheme and it's pretty much hit the guy in front of you or open a hole for running back, the offense has done great. It's when they've tried to do some pulls, some different kind of stunts and things like that on the offensive line that they've really struggled. And part of that, I think, is the new faces that have come in as well as the lack of experience playing on the offensive line to know how to do all those things. So when the offensive line struggles – the fast tempo of the offense leaves the defense without a break. And so maybe one or two, three and outs in a row, your defense can sustain. But when it's four, five, six, no one's going to be able to do that unless you're Alabama or someone like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, you know, you talk, we're talking about the, the uptick in recruiting and, you know, just overall morale you come to expect that with, with the new coaching staff just because, you know, like you said, Bowden came in and, you know, early on in the year you kind of saw improvement with with on-field performance and whatnot. And then, you know, the roster overhaul, you get new fresh guys in, you get the young freshmen that come in, you know, just willing to play college football no matter where it is. And I think all those things just mix together to to create a good environment. Um, Dusty, let's talk about Rhett Rodriguez, and uh, obviously the the son of offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez. He had a scary injury early on in the year, uh, collapsed lung from a broken rib. Is that what it, was that the? Yeah, that, the that was a Detroit game, and in the post game, he was on a Zoom meeting. 
for the media availability. He sounded like he had a broken nose. And I was kind of like leaning in the camera, trying to look and see. And I was like, no, his nose looks fine. And then it was a couple of hours after that when it kind of came out about the injury. But it, it really just sounded like he, somebody had punched him in the nose. You right. know, not an unusual injury that would happen in, in, in football, especially for a quarterback or anything like that. But I think that that really helped this program mature quicker to thrust Chandler Rogers into the spotlight. Right. Chandler Rogers is a freshman by way of Southern Miss and Trinity Valley. Went to Southern Miss when the whole Jay Hopkins uh, turnover happened, left to go to junior college. Then COVID happened. So he had never played college football and really had been on a D1 campus until he came to ULM in July of this summer. Wow. And the fact that he was able to kind of scoop and score, so to say, at right. the third game of the season – that, that that's that's pretty pretty remarkable, not only for his talent, but for the staff being able to get him up to speed as quick as they did. Yeah, you know, and and like you said, Chandler Rogers, he's definitely become a reliable uh, piece for for the Warhawk offense. But you know, back to back to Rodriguez, you know, you saw him you saw him play quite a bit in in that LSU game this past weekend. How has he progressed since that injury? Um, does, does it appear that he could have any long-term effects of that injury? Kind of talk about that for a bit. No, I, I, I don't see where he has the arm to be able to throw the vertical ball very well. He's very much a short linebacker ish type of route or a crossing route. And then I think it's because of the injury it's in his head maybe, or maybe he still has some residual effects of that injury. He is, is not one to pull the ball on a RPO and, and run the ball. So I don't know how you can run an RPO offense with a quarterback that won't run the option. We know a thing or two about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, I I was very, it's very, uh, it's very interesting seeing the two quarterback systems sometimes being played with ULM, but I'll say this, you definitely have athletes in the backfield uh, with that. So, um, you know, speaking of athletes, uh, there have been a there have been some good performances by some of the skill positions um, with the Warhawks, both offensively and defensively. In your opinion, who has emerged as reliable producers for ULM in twenty twenty one? And before you answer that question, I have a, a a second part to add to that. Who has the best name in college football? Oh, hands down, the best name is Boogie Knight. And, and oh. what's even better, it's it's one thing to have the name. And then, you know, it's a guy that's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Boogie Knight. No. The kid's got the best personality. He's got the look that you're like, that is Boogie and, Knight. Isn't his name like Jeremiah or something yeah. like that? Yeah, but but I don't I don't think he would answer to that right now. I think right. he it, is it, it's Boogie, Boogie Knight. Right. Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's definitely been a character. He's come along. He's the most targeted receiver, but I think because teams know of his playmaking capability, he's been double teamed, sometimes even triple teamed, that he really hasn't had a great statistical year of reception, yardage. He got just his second touchdown this past weekend at LSU. There, uh, Fret is a better receiver because I think that everyone focuses on Boogie so much that he's been able to be opened up. Andrew Henry at the running back position was a top – 50 top 75 Juco running back that came to ULM when he's healthy, he's great. 
The problem is, is that he's kind of small for the D1 level and has taken a beating this year. With that said, though, Malik Jackson's kind of come in uh, transitioning from receiver to running back. Not bad, serviceable, you know, going over 100 yards uh, against Arkansas State with a touchdown. So those guys are, have really kind of stood out. On the defensive side, Ty Shelby at the defensive end has, has been remarkable. Josh Newton in the secondary. Uh, and then to me, I mean, I'm a special teams guy. Caleb Sutherland, I mean, anytime you're across the 50, you're pretty much getting 30. Yeah, Sutherland's been phenomenal for you guys. I, I think he's in contention to be the the Sunbelt player of the year, Sunbelt def- special teams player of the year. And maybe maybe newcomer. I can't think of anybody that would be like yep. super big of newcomer of the year. He's got a strong leg too. Yeah, it's <laughs> safe and, to say. I mean, he's got a really strong leg. He's made some field goals, of quite a few field goals beyond 45 with ease. Yeah, he. I think his longest make of the year was 55 or 57 yards against uh, Texas State, I believe it was. And he was a D3 kicker. This was his only D1 opportunity to come in. Knew he was going to be a one and done. And I, I think he's kind of worked his way into getting some camp looks uh, at the next level. Very much so. Very much so. So, you know, this year, uh, as, as the season has gone on, um, and, and you saw some you saw some promises in, earlier in the year, but, you know, the ULM defense – uh, they've been they've been flying to the football. Uh, they really stuck out to me against Liberty, especially in that second half. You know, gave up a few big plays, but really stepped up when it mattered, um, especially in the secondary. But it looks like they're, they're, they're de- the defense is they, they look physical, and even at times they look really aggressive. Um, I, I noticed that in Baton Rouge. Uh, you know, stopped a few key runs, made a few key stops. Do you feel like this unit's continued to improve throughout the season? Uh, because from what we're seeing, it looks like they're getting better as they as they play more. Yeah, I, I think so. But like I said, you, you know, the defensive success is really still tied to the offensive line and, and how much time they're getting on the field. That defensive forefront that ULM has anchored there by Ty Shelby at the defensive end position, I mean, they get the pressure. At, at one point, ULM was plus eight on the turnover Ratio And a lot of that was due to forced uh, turnovers or, or forced errors, I should say, by that defensive front getting the pressure in the backfield. Yeah, the defense, you know, you, you brought up Josh Newton. I think I think he's been the best player for the for the Warhawk defense. Dusty, talk about the health of the Warhawks, um, you know, who. What, what's the injury report looking like going into this season finale against the Cajuns? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the, the biggest win, so to say, Saturday against Baton Rouge. No real significant injuries. Obviously, you know, the usual beatings that you're going to take in, in a big game like that and pretty much any Saturday. But the, the Warhawks should be pretty much full strength unless there's been something this week that really developed in practice. Uh, that is one big thing with Terry Bowden. He has locked down the practices that uh, no one no one gets in. It's like the good old Willy Wonka chocolate factory. No one ever goes in. No one ever comes out. So we're, we're always limited on the information that we get out of there. But going into the game, the roster should be full, fully stacked and, and ready for battle. Well, it's definitely always a, uh, a lot closer, lot, uh, too close for comfort for Cajun fans. Anytime the Warhawks come to Cajun field, you can throw the record out the window. It's one of those situations where 
we all know that ULM always tries to show up to Cajun Field and, and give the Cajuns all they can. Uh, speaking of which, um, look, this it's safe to say, I mean, it's pretty much ULM's last game of the year. Um, they have made a lot of improvements this year, but this this is it. This is this is the grand finale for the Warhawks, and they'll bow out of 2021. But would you say would you say that this is uh, the Warhawks? Uh, not to not to sound too arrogant when I say this, but would you say that this is their Super Bowl, knowing that they're going to Lafayette against a ranked Cajuns team that will be playing for a championship? Do you feel like this is one of those games that they're going to give it their all and and try to go out strong with a win? Yeah, and and. It's a really a, a weird game that neither side really has anything to play for. It's not like this is a must win for the Cajuns to get to bowl eligibility. They don't have to win it to secure the West. They don't have to win it for, for anything other than, you know, Napier's perfect Sunbelt Conference record, you know, some pride, a little bit of practice, and, and yep. uh, staying hot going into next week against uh, Appalachian State. And, and ULM, it, it, it's kind of interesting of, of what is their angle on this game. Are they going to go for it? Like you said, like this is their bowl game and, and to try to win it? Or is this kind of a, hey, let's see what happens in this scenario with this guy and, and kind of use it as a building block for the kinda, future. Kind of see what you got next year, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think they kind of do a little bit of both. I think that they try to win it, but if it gets out of hand, you you go to the experimental phase and just see what happens. Yeah. You know, you brought it up perfectly. Neither team really has anything to play for. I I could see Billy Napier resting starters in in the second half, uh, just just to make sure everybody's rested and and ready to roll for for App State next weekend. But uh, Dusty, man, we appreciate you taking the time. Before we let you go, give us a uh, give us a prediction for the game Saturday. I will be there. That's a that's a pretty good prediction. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to it because it's so hard to predict this game because how many times have we seen just a bad Cajuns or bad Warhawks team go and beat a right. team that they shouldn't even be playing? Yep. And sure. I immediately think to to Ricky Bustle's last game, Oof. going to Monroe and winning on a blocked PAT where that was a bad Cajuns team. ULM wins, they get six wins. That's a year that six wins get you in a bowl game. There's just there's too much history to be able to say oh they're going to win by this amount. I think it'll be a good close game. I don't think it'll be a blowout by either side. He he did not give a score. He did he continued the streak. Dusty, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think we've had a single behind enemy lines guest this year give out actual numbers. All right, I, I'll, I'll I'll go oddball score like four to three. Then how's that? Two safety. Four to three. <laughs> we're playing baseball in Cajun Love Field it. on Saturday. Dusty, once again, man, we really appreciate you taking the time. Tell our uh, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, we're on Warhawk Report, Warhawk underscore Report on Twitter. Also part of the Fun Belt Podcast. So Fun oh, yeah. Belt PC on Twitter we, we as well. Interviewed- so check us out. We talk uh, across all of the Sun Belt Conference. There uh, it comes out every Tuesday about the shift to every Sunday, but. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We uh, have two guys, a guy from Arkansas State, a guy from Georgia State, and uh, tons of guests. We've had uh, Commissioner Keith Gill on. Yeah. We've had former Commissioner Carl Benson on. We just had the Myrtle Beach Executive Director on for the bowl game. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. I've listened I've listened to the Fun Belt Podcast. Y'all do 
y'all do good things over there. And, you know, you brought up the two guys you do it with. We interviewed Jeremy Harper for Arkansas. For, we interviewed Jeremy for our Behind Enemy Lines <laughs> guest for, for Arkansas State. I, so, I, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. I apologize <laughs> for anything that he said. <laughs> no, nah, man, good. Jeremy, was, Jeremy good. was a good time. He's a good guy. It was, it, was, a good it was a good time. Dusty, once again, man, we appreciate you taking the time. We hope you enjoy your uh, your time in Lafayette this weekend, and uh, hope you and your family have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, y'all, too, and uh, hopefully Cracklins are not still $23 a pound. Good God. Everything. Inflation. We love America. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Josh Jagno. One more segment to go here here in this episode. Dusty Thibodeau, we appreciate him taking the time, giving you the inside scoop on the Warhawks. You see, th- this game's going to be interesting because it's always a close game. For some reason, it's always way closer when it's in Lafayette. Um... But, you know, one thing you, you hear a lot of people talk about this time of year is, is ULM a rival? Annual reminder, ULM is not our rival. Tech, maybe, maybe Tech, but LSU is our rival. I, I don't disagree with that. But also, teams have multiple rivals. LSU might be our biggest rival. UL Monroe is still a rival. In order for it to be a rivalry, the other team has to win sometimes. We just they do off, win I sometimes. Was, I think it was last, maybe not last year, but the year before. Prior to the the year before last. Dude, we're uh, only on a UL, three-game UL, win streak. UL baseball had won 30 against their baseball team. UL basketball had won some crazy number like 12 of the last 17 or something like that. Football has lost to ULM twice in 10 years. Jerry, is that right? Uh, let's see. 13. Seven, yeah. 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 We're only, in, on, no, a, we're right, only right, on a three yeah, game win streak. Huh? And the, the all time, the all time record is we lead at 30 to 25. I don't know how you can get much more of a rivalry than, than those numbers. Yeah, but we were really bad for a long time. And when they were D2, they were good. 
they won a national championship in what eighty something, Jerry. Eighty seven. Eighty seven. So yeah. they had. A and nice we beat them that there. year. We beat them that year too at their house. But you see, they they the thing about the thing about uh, ULM and, and UL they they really they started playing again every year, I believe, starting in nineteen ninety seven, when they just made the move up to one A in ninety four. Okay, uh, they had played a few times, probably from like the they played they played all the time pretty much throughout the eighties, and then in the early nineties for a good few years they really didn't face each other often. I think it might have been once or twice, and then in ninety seven they started playing. And then every year after that, ever since we, they, they faced each other um, year in and year out uh, over the past 15 years, the Cajuns have had the upper hand. I think ULM has beaten the Cajuns since 2007. See two or three times. And the Cajuns have won the other like 12 matchups or something like that. So, so basically since they joined the Sunbelt conference, that whole idea of rivalry has Going by the wayside. It's it's been more in the Cajuns' favor, yeah, over the past twenty years or so. I still think it's a rivalry. Well, I think I think a lot of people think it's a rivalry because they're in the state of Louisiana. And the and I, I understand that it's regional, and I get it. And they're in they're a conference mate. I get it, but I don't look at the ULM game and go, "Oh, Jeepers, we got to play ULM." Uh, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a Marshall and Troy or Marshall in uh, App State or App State in Georgia Southern or Troy in South or it's nothing he like said, that to me. He said Jeepers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my, it's ULM. Look, they, I, I will say this about ULM: their fans look at it more of a rival than we do. Well, well, of course, it's their Super Bowl. I mean, we we literally we literally asked Dusty in the last segment if this was still ULM Super Bowl. And, so, and, and, and he you said yes. I that question. I just wrote it down to see if you could ask No, he, he, we totally asked it, and he said yes. Yeah, I mean, so look, you got the super fans saying yes. So, you know, is it our Super Bowl? For God's sake, come on. I'm glad that you asked the question, though. That's I was hoping that you would. <laughs> yeah, you know, let, let's talk Let's talk Cajuns in Vegas now. Uh, Josh, you know, Raging Review, 8-3 and three against the spread this year. What uh? What what are your thoughts on Saturday? I mean, the line is, what is it, 21 and a half, I believe. 21 and a half? Yeah, 21 and a half. My God. And um, uh, an over-under of 54 and a half. I would like to say, you know, I know we kind of got it off to a rough start there, but we've had a nice little run. Eight and three this year, 19 and three in two seasons, pretty damn salty. 21 and a half just seems That's, that's ridiculous. Outrageous. I'm not ready to make a pick just yet, but no, I, I would probably lean ULM, especially with the hook there. Yeah, 21's a lot of points. Because like you said, in Lafayette, it's typically closer than it ever should be. It has been like that the last two or three trips. So, yeah, 21 and a half. Just, it's not, they're, not a, they're not a slouch. I mean, they do struggle against spread and high-powered offenses, um, but I think that we're going to try to out-physical them, and I think from the times I've been able to watch them, those type of teams don't necessarily run away from ULM. I think that they can compete in those games. So 21 and a half just seems way too much. Jerry, uh, you got any thoughts and predictions for the game? Um, I think the Cajuns win pretty convincingly. I think they win by at least two scores. Um, I think it's probably 28 to 10 type score. They're, they're going to, they're going to, I think, I think ULM is going to give them a little bit of a game, probably the first 
half or so, but I think the Cajuns are going to pull away. I just think the depth and the athleticism is just too much for ULM. Let's when see. was the last time we beat ULM at home by double digits? It's been a while. Well, and then also you got to remember uh, Evans. They've been, they had Evans for nah, like four bro. years. So he was pretty we, good. We we win by we win by seven. We win by seven. Okay. Hey, look, it's a win. Whatever it takes, man. I, I don't have a. Uh, I mean, I don't have a preference. I think the Cajuns do pull away though in the second half. So I hope you're right because I just I don't see that happening. Jerry, you know what time it is? What time is it, man? Can I tell you what? Hmm. He Very said nice. Mm. He, he thinking about that Thanksgiving spread already. There you go. <laughs> what you got, Jerry? Man, I tell you what. Another weekend gone. Another win. What we witnessed this past Saturday was a work of art. We saw a team go in as an actual underdog, play an opponent with a 15-game home win streak on the line, and take them to the cleaners by a margin of 28 points. It seems as if this has been sort of a trend these past few years to just take the field, scrap, and just win. Wash, rinse, repeat. As fans, we have enjoyed every step of the way. Though we at Rage Review sometimes like to analyze these games through a microscope lens and sometimes point out deficiencies, it still does not stop us from enjoying where we are today as a program. With the Cajuns win... Our win streak now sits at 10 with a 10 and one overall record. We're also in the midst of our third straight season of 10 or more wins. And in the last two seasons, we have won a total of nine games by a score of 10 or more points. There seems to be a common denominator here with the number 10. The vibe seems all positive and happy, but It wasn't that long ago that the number 10 had a negative effect. It was a number that we older Cajun fans wanted to forget. A time when what we are currently witnessing now all seemed to be just a dream, or put more harshly, impossible. Let's go back in time for just a few minutes. There's two seasons that come to mind here, which include 1997 and 2000. I'll start with the 1997 season. That year, players like Jake DeLome and Damon Mason were no longer on the team, played out their eligibility, so we had no choice but to move on with new faces and big roles. If you recall, this was also the one season we decided to ditch the script Cajun's helmet and go with the design of the tri-fleur decals like the one we see on the Acadian flag. Unfortunately, we did not represent the historic French coat of arms well on the field. We played a schedule as an independent that year that even the best teams would have had to grind through, such as Pittsburgh, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, and Rose Bowl-bound Washington State, to name a few. And the team's inexperience and inconsistencies along with this tough schedule gave us a season to remember, or one that we all try to forget. For example, we set an NCAA record that year, the most points allowed per game to our opponent, averaging right over 50. That was a record that stood until 2019. Thank you, UMass. We also went winless at home 
including a four-overtime loss to Division II school, North Alabama, a division one level lower than the FCS. To be honest with you, I don't think a D2 school has beaten an FCS member since. How lucky of us to hold that honor. Everything that could possibly go wrong in a season went that way in 1997, which gave us the final record tally of one, and you guessed it, one in 10. Now fast forward to three years later to the 2000 season with a new head coach, new university name, and a new overall brand logo, the football quality still stayed the same. A lackluster team that couldn't put the pieces of the puzzle together. And let's not forget another winless home schedule that included losses to not one, not two, but three FCS teams, which included a rainy senior day loss to Jacksonville State in front of an announced crowd of just over 9,000 fans. And of course, once again, the final record tally, one in 10. Yeah, talks of dropping to FCS, or referred to as Division 1AA at the time, seemed to be a legitimate topic of interest. Just anything that could give the football program any ounce of a competitive edge, even if it took competing with a Southland Conference-type schedule. At that time, we just kept asking ourselves, will we ever get out of this abyss? So you see, the perception of the number 10 seemed to change rather quickly when talking about these two bad years. And I'm sure some of you are questioning why in the world would I want to bring back these haunted memories? But before you wish to send bad Grigory my way, I have to ask you one question, Cajun Nation. How much do you really appreciate what we are witnessing today? With Thanksgiving approaching, it's memories like 1997 and 2000 that make me thankful as a Cajuns fan to currently witness what was once the impossible. As a kid, Watching those teams struggle, I never would have thought we would be sitting here as a top 25 juggernaut being mentioned with the best teams in the country. I never would have thought that we would be the team circled on our opponent's calendar as the game to attend. I never would have thought that we would be the winning team winning 10 or 11 games in consecutive seasons as if it was just business as usual. I never would have thought that we would be the team scoring at will against our opponents to the point where their athletic directors had to send letters to their fans and boosters apologizing for their poor performance against us. What's up, Texas State? But yet, here we are. And for those reasons, I am thankful. Very thankful. I am thankful for a university administration that saw the light and realized that college athletics does help promote the brand for our school to the point where they have pumped money into our facilities and given us the resources for our student-athletes to compete. I am thankful for our athletic department who run Raging Cajun Athletics like a model of a P5 institution paving the way for high expectations and success both on and off the field. I am thankful for a head football coach who, although there's talks of his time coming to an end with us, has stayed around long enough to build a program with a model that will sustain unprecedented success long after he is gone. And of course, I am thankful that I can share my passion for Raging Cajun Athletics on this platform here at Raging Review to you, Cajun Nation, along with my two other friends and passionate fan and co-hosts, Matt and Josh. You know, sometimes it takes really bad experiences in the past, like in 1997 or 2000, to really be thankful for the present, especially when it's a complete 180 like we have recently seen. 
this coming Saturday, we as an entire fan base have an opportunity to show how thankful we really are when we honor the winningest senior class that has worn the Cajuns uniform, as well as the winningest coach who has walked our sideline and represented this program with the utmost class. They are the ones that set the precedence of high expectations for the program that future Cajuns will strive for. It is up to us to show that appreciation with a crowded sea of red so we can all sit back and say, thank you. But in the meantime, let's sit back and enjoy our 10 straight wins and our 10 in one season. Happy Thanksgiving, Cajun Nation. See you Saturday. Can I tell you what? Uh, I'm serious about that, though, guys. Um, you know, Thanksgiving approaching. You know, we're thankful for our family and friends. But as Cajun fans, let's be thankful for what we get to witness in front of us right now. Said it many times, these are the good old days. No, no, no doubt about it. Guys, before we go, you know, obviously we, we just talked about it with Thanksgiving coming up. Favorite Thanksgiving dish and turkey is a cop-out answer. All right, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to do a rice dressing with the turkey gravy on top with uh, mac and cheese, a green bean casserole. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know, okay. save one dish. Whoa, I whoa, see a few whoa. You, one dish. All right, homemade baked macaroni. Okay. Josh, what about you? I hate Thanksgiving. I don't care about the food. DJ Scratch, ear, ear. <laughs> I was about to say, wait, what? Seriously, I think it's the stupidest holiday of all time. You sit around a, a hot house, you get the meat sweats, you sit around people you can't stand for four hours waiting on the damn turkey to be done. It's terrible. Uh, I'm going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and watch football by myself. I can't wait. On that note, Matt, your turn. What's your favorite Thanksgiving <laughs> dish? Oh, my God. Um... My favorite Thanksgiving dish has to be green bean casserole. Uh, just because just I mean, it, it's just always done well. Um, cornbread dressing is another one. Good deal. Uh, and then favorite meat, I, I would pick ham over turkey any day. Hmm. Oh, I do have one. I do have one that I do like. You guys have ever had the, uh, it's like a corn dish with rich crackers on the top of it. Mm-hmm. Whatever the hell that is, I don't sign me up. That's I, I good think, shit. I think, I think there's multiple names for it, but yeah, that is cool. that is good Tell you stuff. What, just to be like everybody else, I'll go with that. That's my favorite. Finally, Josh has a good has, has has an input that that doesn't make him sound narcissistic to holidays and lasagna and lasagna. <laughs> lasagna. Oh my god, this dude said his favorite holiday meal is lasagna. Oh, God. That's going to do it for this episode. See, of Before you wrap, I mean, look, lasagna, it, you cover all your food groups. If you make it right, it's good. It, it, it is good. However, I just don't think that it has a place in Thanksgiving. It's good. But I'm a traditionalist. So with that, that'll do it for this episode of Rage and Review. You know the drill, guys. You can find us everywhere on podcast platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We will come to you with a post-game reaction for the ULM game and a big-time preview of next week's conference championship game. Until then, be safe, be well, have a happy Thanksgiving, and as always, 